listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. You know, it's actually one of the most easily dismissed and uh, justified away of our New Testament commandments. Uh, the ease at which we, uh, we often excuse our obligation uh, on, the, on the matter is pretty astounding, and I'm, I'm guilty of doing it myself. Uh, what I'm talking about is biblical, Jesus-centered church community. And so this week and next, we're going to uh, spend our time together looking at Scripture and exploring this idea of biblical, Jesus-centered church community. Uh, We will explore what community is, why the authors of our scripture thought it was so important, uh, what the benefits are for someone who's a part of a community, what the uh, burdens are for someone who is a part of a community, what behaviors should should be tolerated in a community, what behavior should never be tolerated in your community. And then we'll, we'll end next week Talking about what justifies the breaking of fellowship for believers in a community. All that more over the next two weeks. So if I haven't lost you, I'm going to pray for us. Um, And before I do, though, I just want to say, I think I saw like 15 or 20 high schoolers come in uh, during our our announcement time. I just want you to know, I'm so glad you are here. That is a big deal. You guys could be, yeah. You guys could be doing all kinds of things, sleeping, sounds like a good idea, uh, yet you chose to spend your Sunday morning here, and I just want you to know, uh, truly I'm humbled, and it is an honor to have you here. So uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this moment with us. We ask that you would guide our thoughts as we look at this biblical concept of community. I ask that you would allow us to embrace what you're Your word is guiding and urging us to do. Help us value the things that you value. As we uh, meet as a community of our own, we know that we're not the only uh, church community that you love and that you care about, and so we want to lift up our uh, brothers and sisters over at Southwest Community Church. We lift up up Pastor Arnie and his uh, team over there, and just ask that you would bless their efforts as they um, attempt to advance your kingdom, uh, the kingdom of our, our shared King Jesus here in Littleton. And so we pray for them. We, of course, we pray the same thing for ourselves. Help us stay close to you. Help us stay far from sin. Uh, I pray humbly for myself. Would you just allow my words to be of value, allow them to be true and of you. And we uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our, our series this next two weeks is designed uh, uh, to be a little provocative. Community is greater than friendship? Really? What about that one verse in Proverbs? Proverbs seventeen seventeen. There's a friend that sticks closer than even a brother. The whole point behind this kind of thematic element of community is greater than friendship is, is simply this. Friendship is self-selected. You choose your friends and your friends choose you back. Your friends are the people that you enjoy spending time with and you have things in common with and you you play with. Now, uh, your friends very well may be found 
within your community, and that's a beautiful thing when that happens, um, but they're not always. And, and much more than that, the scripture actually speaks so much less to this idea of friendship, but the New Testament writers, they actually speak a ton about the idea of community, okay? So don't text your friends and dump them just yet. No need for any messy breakups this morning. But what we're talking about today um, is just simply what the scripture says about community. And community is different than friendship. Not to minimize friendship and its value. That's, that's a, a beautiful thing when you have it. But biblical, Jesus-centered, church community, it involves more than friendship. And so that's what, that's what our theme is about. So let me shift gears here for a moment. And then we'll get back on this idea. Anyone else in the room um, addicted to Facebook, perhaps? Anybody? Facebook? Okay. Oh, you raised your... I, I didn't think anyone raised their hands. You're not supposed to admit that. Did you say something other than Facebook? That's an old person thing, right? I like where your head's at. So, <laughs> Facebook was created originally 100 years ago before any of our high schoolers were born uh, to help people have some kind of sense um, or reality of community. And I'm not here to uh, debate uh, the value or the merits or uh, viability of online community, but, but that's not what I use Facebook for at all. And uh, in fact, let me see if I can offend this entire room and everybody watching online uh, all at once. Let me see if I can do this. Uh, so if we are Facebook friends, um, I have silenced you, every one of you. Uh, I have literally gone through everybody and there's nobody left in my newsfeed all that's in my newsfeed, German sports cars, camping gear, and elephant videos. Mainly uh, baby elephant videos. I'm not kidding. I have manipulated and curated my newsfeed to only be mindless, uh, positive, uh, lighthearted stuff. And in order to do that, I had to eliminate all the people. And so it's not that I don't love you. It's not that I don't love the people. I just don't do relationships that way. I just don't. Um, and I, I really have no interest in uh, reading the rants and, and, and things like that that you often see on Facebook. Uh, I just don't like what Facebook was originally created for. But uh, I do, in fact, love Facebook for Facebook Marketplace. Uh, much to my, my wife's dismay, um, I regularly am finding amazing deals on Facebook Marketplace. I have sold so much stuff on Facebook Marketplace. In fact, I want to show you my most recent purchase. It was like a week and a half ago. Um, I bought a, a rock on Facebook Marketplace. Actually, I bought two rocks. And uh, I told EJ, who's our tech director, that someday I'm going to figure out how to get my rock collection worked into a sermon. So today is that day. So I just want to show you a couple pictures of, of my rock collection. And, and so I have over 100 specimens in my collection. I hope to someday add a uh, amethyst cathedral, but those are very, very expensive. But so my last purchase, rock, uh, two rocks, and I'm, I'm very proud of my collection. But you know what the best value is on Facebook Marketplace? It's not rocks. I, I paid more than I should have for a rock. You should pay almost nothing for a rock. But um, the best value on Facebook Marketplace is actually exercise equipment. Really, exercise equipment is like the number one 
best value. Uh, so if you're looking for a piece of gear, like a Peloton bike or uh, something like that, go to Facebook Marketplace first because not only will you find a huge selection of exercise equipment, but you're gonna find it for literal pennies on the dollar. And as you can see here, uh, most all of them start off with something like, like new. I took the first six screenshots on my phone last night for this. Like new, almost never used, used only once. I only ever hang laundry on it. Things like that. And then, and I bet you all of these are still available if you're interested. Um, they, they're discounting them in huge ways. Like there's no way anyone's going to pay 500 bucks for that spin bike. You could, I bet you, you get that for 200 this afternoon if you want it. That person for the bike for 70, they've given up. They don't want to see it anymore. It just reminds them of all their failures. So I bet you, you could probably get that one for free if you ask nice. Anyways, I'm telling you, barely used exercise equipment is like the number one deal on Facebook Marketplace. And do you know why that is? I have a theory. I would suggest it is, it's not because people do not believe in the value of exercise equipment, or they don't believe the exercise equipment will do what it says it will do. No, most people, I would guess, fully believe and accept uh, that when you exercise, you will be healthier and stronger, and you'll feel better, and you'll look better. No, the belief isn't the problem here with the exercise equipment, it's the doing that's the problem, right? It is so remarkably easy to talk yourself out of exercising. Trust me, I've been having that conversation with myself for a very long time. And it's why when you're launching a new uh, effort to, to start exercising, maybe at the beginning of the year, you're way more likely to stick with it if you have a partner who is equally as committed to exercise, who's willing to go on this journey with you. Because it is so much harder to talk yourself out of not going to the gym in the morning when you know somebody else is waiting there for you. Accountability, it, it, it matters, and it matters a lot. But when there's no one there waiting for you, it is, unless you're a, a, a self-disciplined machine, it is really easy to quit trying. And then selling it on Facebook Marketplace um, it starts to make just a whole lot of sense. No. The problem isn't that you don't believe the claims of the exercise manufacturer, the, the equipment manufacturer, or that you don't believe in the general facts and values and benefits of exercise. No, the problem isn't believing. The problem is doing or not doing. And when it comes to biblical, Jesus-centered church community, the similarities are actually really striking. Meaning, it isn't belief that's the problem. No, all believers believe. That's what makes you a believer. For example, we believe what the scripture teaches us. We believe we are to forgive. We believe that Jesus tells us generosity is really important. It's more blessed to give than receive. We believe that Jesus really said, love your enemies. We believe that. But then when it comes down to it, we don't want to forgive. When it comes to generosity, it's a verifiable fact. Most church-going Christians give nothing to their church at all. We're told to love our enemies, yet we lose our minds when confronted by someone with a conflicting worldview or political view. A lot of times on Facebook, right? No, it's not that we don't believe in what it's telling us, but rather we don't 
always do. Now, does not acting on what you believe make you an unbeliever? No, that's not, that's not what I'm saying, but it makes you something else. It's not a non-believer. It makes you, it, it makes you a, a non-doer, right? And you've heard, me, you've heard me say this a lot before, and I will continue to say it. Yes, believe. Believe and be saved, but then start doing. Start doing something with that belief. Believe and follow. Because here's the thing. It's not believing in Jesus that's going to make your life better. Yes, believing in Jesus will make your eternity better, no doubt. But it is following Jesus that at least has the potential to make your life better. And yes, there will be troubles in this life for the Jesus follower, but the potential for a better life, it goes up exponentially when we don't just believe in Jesus, but we follow Jesus. And this isn't meant at all to sound like a prosperity type of gospel. So if you're hearing that, don't hear that. Following Jesus, this is what I'm saying, following Jesus will guide you into better habits and better values. And following Jesus will guide you into better relationships and better decision-making and better ethics and better ideals and better behaviors. And so here's the thing. Here's the punchline for this, this two-week series. You can write this down and then you can go or you can take a nap because this is really what it's all about. Listen, you cannot follow Jesus very effectively in isolation. It is ridiculously hard to do on your own. Accountability is not found within yourself. It just isn't. And like I said at the top of this, uh, the scripture speaks a lot to this. Paul, the New Testament writer, he speaks a lot to this idea. And so Paul, who mostly wrote to a Gentile audience, he gives us a really solid list of what it looks like to live out your faith within the context of community. It's the one another list, and you're probably familiar with at least some of it. It's actually a very comprehensive list. In fact, the Greek word for one another, it appears a hundred times in your New Testament. Fifty-nine of those times are specific commands on how to or how not to relate to others within the context of the New Testament church community. And so I listed a few of them on the screen here. Um, and this is, just, this is just a couple. I also, if you're interested in the sermon resource notes, you can find these out in the lobby. On the back of them, there are a ton more, still not all of them, with scripture references if you want to look them up. But let me just read you a few of them. Forgive one another, accept one another, care for one another, encourage one another, submit to one another. That's not very popular. Restore one another, carry the burdens of one another, bear with one another. Here's the thing. You cannot do any of these things or any of these things, you cannot do a single one of those by yourself, can you? And so I want to paint you a picture of what trying to be a solo Christian sometimes looks like for, for some of us. Maybe something like this. I go to church. I do my quiet time most days. I try not to be too blatantly mean to anybody, right? Uh, I pray before meals. I pray before bed, and then I rinse and repeat and do it next week, right? That is what uh, being a believer, a solo believer, looks like for a lot of people. And I have been guilty of that very exact routine oftentimes for years. But you will notice that this solo strategy, it does not address 
a single one of the one another's on that list, does it? Biblical, Jesus-centered, church community does. It is not effective to just believe it privately. You have to do it openly. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually grew up in a, uh, a tradition of Christianity that was very one-on-one oriented, very up and down oriented, meaning being a Christian, it was all about my private one-on-one relationship with God. And it really consisted of only two measures. The first measure being, am I living morally? Am I making good decisions? Am I staying out of trouble? Am I following the rules? Both new and old covenant rules. And two, the second measure was, am I giving my money away generously, mostly to the church? More or less, if you got those two things right, frankly, I mean, you were good. And and really, it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's just about me and God, my personal relationship with him. And that is actually a very common story for a lot of Christians. That's a very popular brand of Christianity that most of us are probably familiar with on, on some level. So what's the point am I trying to, that I'm trying to make? Am I trying to say you shouldn't have an a, a intimate, personal, one-on-one relationship with God where you make good decisions and all? No, of course not, of course not. Does that mean you shouldn't be generous? That's not an important part of the, the life of the Christian? No, of course it is, of course it is. I'm just saying that one-on-one, me and God against the world type of faith, it's not complete. It's not complete as we, as we see in the New, the New Testament. That, that up and down, me and God uh, only sort of thinking, it's actually a really um, old covenant sort of model that you see in our, in our Old Testament. And it's so often, it is imported into our New Covenant reality that Jesus forged for us But the the, the reality is we don't see a whole lot of examples in the New Testament of this up and down, me and God only sort of faith. No, we actually see a lot more of the love your neighbor and in doing so you love me sort of faith. We see that kind of thing modeled a whole lot more in in the New Testament. So just like we do see in the Old Testament account, uh, which which are tremendously valuable, by the way, that one-on-one me and God against the world sort of thinking, it can often lead a Christian to self-centeredness. It can lead them to legalism. It can lead them to judgmental, graceless sorts of attitudes and faiths. And, and I know that's a lot before we've even opened the scripture, but uh, let me take us there. We're going we're gonna to start in a, the, the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 10. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about that. Uh, we don't know who wrote that. If anyone says they know who wrote Hebrews, they actually don't. Uh, it was probably almost certainly a man because women weren't well-educated back in uh, that time, and even the ones that were would never have been taken seriously. So almost certainly written by a man. Uh, a lot of scholars for many, many years thought that Paul was the most likely writer uh, of Hebrews. Uh, some thought Barnabas. But I'm not a scholar myself, but as I understand and have studied the progression and the evolution of uh, thinking on the authorship of Hebrews, Paul's actually not at the top of that list anymore. 
Uh, Martin Luther actually suggested that it, it was Apollos that wrote the book of Hebrews. I think Apollos makes sense, uh, especially since Paul was very well known for writing to a Gentile audience, not a Jewish audience. The author of Hebrews was absolutely writing to uh, and ex exclusively to a Jewish audience, a Messianic Jewish audience, which just means Hebrew people who converted to Christianity in the first century. It would be awesome to know who wrote this, but it really doesn't matter. And even though, listen, and even though we as Gentiles are not the target audience, which I'm assuming most of you are not of Jewish descent, we of course do not dismiss this portion of scripture simply because we're not the target audience. There is so much in Hebrews for Mosaic and for the, the modern day church in 2023. So don't ever dismiss a portion of scripture simply because you're not the audience uh, that that author was targeting originally. But uh, I tell you all these factoids because as you study your scripture for yourself, and you should, it's, it's so important. It is so important that you remember context is king. Meaning, if you come across a difficult passage um, or something you read uh, in your scripture that it feels like it's contradicting something else, you have to stop and you must dig deeper than just what you read on that first pass in your modern English translation because the scripture never ever contradicts itself. The scripture never ever condemns saved people to hell. And so if you read something like that, you have to dig deeper because there's almost always an explanation. And so understanding cultural and situational context as well as target audience, it always leads to a much fuller understanding of the scripture as you're reading it for yourself. So that's why I, I, I always try to start with some kind of uh, brief history or context of what we're reading in the Bible before we read it. But like I said, it's also, it's worth saying again, all scripture, New and Old Testament, is in fact useful for learning and teaching. And it's even more useful when you remember to take context uh, into account. So, as we read the scripture um, in Hebrews, I want you to watch how this nameless author uh, moves back and forth to his, Jew his Jewish audience, who's very used to this up and down, me and God only sort of faith. Watch how he moves from that to a all around you, one another sort of faith, okay? And uh, quick, one more thing, uh, more evidence that this was, this was written to a Jewish audience. Uh, the author refers to, or references the most holy of holies, the, or uh, often called the most holy place. And this was the place at the top of the Temple Mount where only the high priest could ever go. So every Jew, even the bad ones, would, would understand that reference. But this reference to the most holy place would mean absolutely nothing to a first century Gentile. So more evidence that this was uh, written to Messianic Jews. Um, and the writer does this because uh, he's reminding the Jewish people that Jesus came to, to replace and fix and uh, change the whole temple system, the whole process by which we come to God. It no longer requires, as it says, the the old and dead way, but now the new and living way, which is through, through Jesus. And so enough talk. Um, let me read this. Hebrews 10.19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. 
By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with, the, with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now again, if, if your childhood church experience was anything like mine, this particular passage is often taught as don't give up your Sunday morning church attendance. Don't watch church online. There was no online church when I was a kid, but, but that's a very up and down oriented sort of approach to that passage. But I believe the author here is trying to actually say, you cannot do the one another list if you are not spending time with, you guessed it, one another. Life transformation, it does not happen in seclusion. And so, am I saying don't bother to come on Sunday mornings? No, of course not. Of course not. Community, in many cases, actually does uh, start here. It starts in the lobby. Uh, sometimes it even starts in this room. But this relationship, this is very one-sided here. This, this could be a seed for transformation, but it will never ever provide the full life transformation that is only possible within the context of community. And I actually, I, I actually understand this um, really well. And I understand the appeal of the solitudinarian sort of faith. I didn't make that word up. Definition's on the screen. And so I hope you I hope you guys know and believe that I am always straight with you. I'm always honest with you. And so, uh, super vulnerability time, as I like to call it. Um, I have a personal propensity towards this, towards this me and God only against the world sort of faith. I just do. And my personality is one that could actually allow me to be very content with that. And if you're anything like me, I justify that lack of accountability because I truly don't have any egregious sin problems. I don't use porn. I don't uh, lie to my wife. I don't uh, cheat on my taxes. I don't hit my children. I don't do any of those things. And so my sin actually flies under the radar really, really well. And, and I'm not saying it's not there. I'm saying you have to look for it. And the, the dangerous thing about that is sometimes the sin that's festering inside me and in my heart and the bitterness that takes root in my heart, sometimes the only people who will ever know about that are me and God. And that's not safe. And that's not healthy that is the solitudinarian sort of faith that I, I often have. But I've, I've taken some steps to, to try to address that. And the truth is this. Like I said, I could live with that. 
I could. I could be content with that. But it is really hard to reconcile that sort of approach to faith with what we see the author of Hebrews write, with what we see all of the apostles write, with what we see Jesus himself talk about. Trying to make that argument, if the New Testament has any authority in your life, trying to make that argument, it's just really hard to do. And it is a lie that Christians sometimes tell themselves, that I sometimes tell myself. It is a lie to believe that you can spiritually mature to a point where you no longer need the input of other believers. That is a lie. Don't believe that lie. Don't let me believe that lie. Have you given up meeting with one another, as, as the scripture says? Have you ever met with one another? It is not enough to believe in the value of community. You need to push through the awkward and you need to do community. And we have, we have so much more to cover. Um, and next week we will get into a lot of the nitty gritty of what community uh, sometimes looks like. So let me pray for us and then we'll worship. The Holy Spirit, let me simply ask on behalf of all of us, if there's something we need to hear or change on this topic of biblical, Jesus-centered church community, would you let us see it? Would you help us identify the solution to it? Would you help us go beyond just believing in the value of community, but help us see the opportunities that are right before us to do community the way the scripture talks about? these things in our Savior's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week!